The Teach Middle East podcast is brought to you by Schoolfinder.ae. Schoolfinder.ae is a comprehensive schools directory serving the United Arab Emirates. Is your school a member? Go to Schoolfinder.ae to find out more. Now, enjoy this episode. everyone and welcome to the Teach Middle East podcast. I have as my special guest today, all the way from London, Diana Osagi, and she is a very experienced school leader. And now she does more of coaching and mentoring. And I am delighted to have her here with us because we're going to talk leadership. We're going to talk courage and we're going to dive into what courageous leadership looks like in schools and what it looks like, especially in international schools. You are listening to the Teach Middle East podcast, connecting, developing and empowering educators. Welcome, Diana. Thank you so much. It is good to be with you all. Hello, everybody. I'm really glad to be here on this podcast with you. It's great to have you. Can you just do a brief intro? I don't want to do it myself, so (laughs) please. A brief intro into what I do and to who I am. To who you are and what you do. My goodness. Okay, who am I? I'm a woman that has decided to fulfill the potential of her life. So what does that mean? It means that now I work supporting leaders who serve in difficult and challenging schools. I did that myself. So I was a head teacher in a challenging urban context in Islington in North London, the UK. So I ran my own secondary school for many years. I was a deputy head for many years. And I inspect schools now in England. I coach leaders who are in challenging schools. I teach NPQH, which is the examination course needed for headship in this country. I teach a master's degree in educational leadership. I run many leadership courses, some of them are my own, some are for other companies, which help people get into leadership, to step into their promotion. And I also run my own academy of women's leadership which is for women who are leading, who are good at their job, but there's still a gap between what the CV says they can do and how they feel about what they can do. There's a gap between competence, which is there, but the confidence that we need to thrive. That's what the Academy is all about. So I do quite a lot. You know, the internet is a funny place. I feel like I know you, yet this is the first time I'm actually speaking with you. And that's because I've watched you on the internet over the years. I've seen your presentations at conferences, the latest of which was the World Education Summit. And I was like, I've got to talk to her. I've got to one day talk to her. And it's now a reality. So I'm very, very pleased with that. The one message that I always hear you talk about that resonates with me is courageous leadership. What is it? How would you define it? Courageous leadership. I now run a company called Courageous Leadership because I define it as there are seven statements. It's not one thing. And it's not about not having fear. In fact, fear is part of leadership. It's about how you limit it. So there are seven statements of courageous leadership and it's defined like this. I will always feel fear, but I will limit the influence that fear has on my speech, on my thoughts, and on my actions. A courageous leader is one that can work on their own, can work through others, can work with others. 
A courageous leader is one that is human first and a leader second. And we remember the importance of family, of love, of grace and compassion. And as I said, there are seven. So I'll give you one more. Uh, a courageous leader is one that is relentlessly consistent on the things that matter, but they have a developed insight into what matters. So depending on your context, where you're serving, what your goals are, what the ambitions and expectations are for your community, what matters may be very different for the community down the road. But you are courageous enough to pursue what matters on behalf of the young people, if you're a teacher or if you're a leader and a teacher, on behalf of your clients, if you're in a corporate world, but you pursue what matters and you don't allow other agendas or other stakeholders to dictate to you what matters. So if what matters, for example, in my school, what mattered at the heart of the curriculum, literacy mattered. Lots of our young people did not have parents who were able to help them and to promote them in academia. We had to do that for them. That's what mattered. So did it matter that the girls were wearing makeup or not? Not really, to be honest. Some schools get very exercised about girls wearing makeup, for example. Did it matter that certain things were in place or not? I had to decide what mattered to my young people. And then you build a school around what matters. And sometimes people will say to you, no, that doesn't matter. Only the sciences matter. Only maths matters. It's all about creativity. You have to be a courageous enough to decide for yourself. So there are seven statements. There are four of those I've given to you now, but that gives you an idea. Being courageous is about limiting fear, acknowledging it's there. Otherwise, you know, you're in fantasy land if you think you're going to be fearless. If you're fearless, you are arrogant. If you're arrogant, I don't want to be anywhere near you. So limiting the influence of fear, working through and with other people. Courageous leaders don't just go forward all on their own, you know, jump off the cliff and their followers are, you know, nowhere to be seen. And it's about understanding your community, understanding the impact that you can bring and working with that. There are things that I cannot do. I, I just can't. I'm not very good at data analysis. Not my thing. So there's no point me standing there really giving it the, you know, follow me, follow me, follow me, when clearly I'm leading you astray. Follow the person that can do data analysis rather than me. I'm not very good when it comes to SCND, special educational needs. It's not my area of expertise. But I employ people and I work through them. But I have the courage to say, I can't do that. But I know leadership. I know relationships. I understand how schools should work. So I have the courage to stay in my lane, but to go forward at the front of my lane. That's what I would say courage leadership is. Wow. wow. I've admitted it's amazing. What do you think vulnerability, because I think you touched on it a bit. What does vulnerability have to do with courageous leadership? How are they related? I think when you're vulnerable, so I, when I'm training people on courageous leadership, I say this, you need to have the courage to share your truth. So you share it with internet. You don't just share absolutely everything about you, but you share your truth. So for example, when I became head teacher, I shared with the staff in quite a vulnerable meeting, a vulnerable setting. It was just me on the stage and my whole staff looking at me. And I shared with them my upbringing, my story, where I grew up, the circumstances of my childhood, 
my parents, my family. I shared with them my struggles as I was growing up and what have you. So they understood. I said, I'm sharing this with you so you understand why I am like how I am today. You understand why certain things I will never give up and other things are negotiable. But when you are vulnerable with people, then they understand what motivates you and what drives you. They understand the drivers behind your behavior. So when I make decisions, you understand where I'm coming from because I've been vulnerable with you to show you my truth. But that doesn't mean that you can now take advantage of my vulnerability. And I think people get scared of being vulnerable. They wonder, will it be used against me? People will try to use it against you, but you guard against that. And I say, now you know my truth. Walk with me. Don't walk against me. Because in that truth, there's a lot of steel, a lot of strength, which you don't want to come up against on a negative side. You know, so don't play with me. I will say, you know, I actually do mean it right. Don't play with me. But I need you to understand where I'm coming from so that you understand why I am strong in certain areas, why I refuse to let that narrative go, why I would not let expectations drop. Because if we don't have courage in what we're doing on behalf of our young people, then who is going to step into their lives and change their narrative? In some contexts, you don't need courage. There are some schools where the school runs itself, to be honest. The children are fine. You don't need any courage for that particular context. But that's not where I serve. I serve in contexts where society is dictated against those young people's success. You need courage to stand in the gap. Society is set up in a way where their context, their postcode, where they live is screaming, no, you cannot go forward. No, you will not go to university. No, you will not be a success. Who in your family has been a success before you? No way will you pass. And they need a head teacher and a group of staff who will stand in the gap and say, yes, we will make it possible for you to pass. So it's not every context that determines that you need courage. But when you do need it, you need it in great reserve. You need it from a place of truth. You get found out very quickly when you work and serve in contexts like this. So I would say courage and vulnerability, they're cousins. They're, they're related to each other. There's a, there's a good relationship there. They know each other. They're family. Yeah, as a good leader, you have to show some vulnerability, obviously not completely expose yourself. But like you said before, people have to see the human side of you and they have to know that you are able to empathize. They have to know you have had some history and that that's what's actually going to help you to move forward with the changes and the things that you're pushing forward on behalf of young people. My next question for you, though, is in terms of showing your human side, you said you're a strong woman and obviously you're telling people not to play with you. I don't think they'll take that lightly. But how do leaders, and I'm talking practically, how do they stop people from using the story their vulnerability, the human side of them that they would have shared, how do they stop people from using that against them? I think the first thing is that you share it. If people find out about Mm. you, rather than you being open and saying, this is me, 
This is why I am strong. This is why I don't like this. This is why I'm motivated by that. You share your story and you are open about it and you invite others to share theirs. So there's a mutual respect there. But you also share with intellect. You say, this is why I'm sharing. Because I want you to understand where I'm motivated, what drives me, what pushes me forward. So I'm not just sharing it for gossip's sake. I'm not sharing it just to make friends with you. There's a deeper meaning here. I want you to know me so you know who you're following, so you can buy into what it is I'm presenting to you. And so that you can more than agree, more than comply, but buy into this, whatever this is to people. So you take ownership of your narrative, but you don't beat people around the head with it. Right. I've, I've seen that happen. Well, well, I grew up poor, therefore you should be like this. No, 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 no. You don't use your narrative as a stick. Right. That you try and dictate how people should be with you because of the way you grew up or because of what you've been through. No, that's not how it's going to work. People, you have to remember that you're in a relationship. You put out your narrative as part of the relationship that you share with your colleagues. So you have to be cognizant of the relationship that you share. So I don't tell intimate things to my colleagues at work we're not in that kind of relationship you know I don't share intimate parts of my life or things that maybe I'm hurting or going through with certain because again that's not the relationship that we have but with some members of my SLT my senior leadership team I'll bring them closer listen guys right for this month this is what I'm going through This this is where my head is at so I need you to be aware of this so when you see me making certain moves you understand what's happening with me So taking control of your narrative and not being, um, I think, not being ashamed of it. Some people will still have a shame about their narrative because they feel it's not as good as someone else's or it doesn't fit. Well, leaders don't normally have a narrative like that. Therefore, my narrative is not as good as that ideal. Right. If you feel a shame or you feel undermined by your own story, don't tell your story. You have to own your story first. Yes, you have to have ownership of your own narrative. That's absolutely what I'm taking away from what you just said, is that if you own that narrative, then no one can use it as a stick to beat you. I want to change your context because I know that you're talking from, you know, a London inner city Islington context, which I'm very familiar. I can't believe you were actually down the road. I taught for many, many years in Tottenham. Um, (laughs) Yes. And Enfield, of course, but that you were just there in Islington. And it's only when I moved here that I actually became familiar with your work because I started to follow women ed. But in this region, we deal with a lot of private schools. These are fee paying schools. Parents are more affluent and the schools are largely run for profit. Now, as a leader in one of those schools, your call to be courageous might not be the same as somebody who's teaching in a city. Your call to be courageous might be to stand against the owners of the school to say, no, this, what you're proposing, isn't good for children. Mm-hmm. But with that, you might lose your job. How should that leader approach that? Carefully, I think is the first word. <laughs> you have to understand the context in which you are serving. If you are serving a school, which is essentially a business, then you go by corporate rules. You cannot bring a public school culture into a private corporate business and expect to stand there against that culture 
your lone voice and say, no, that's not inclusive practice or that's not whatever, because you are not in the culture that can receive your message. So there are battles that there is no point doing that. And I have coached people in Malaysia and in Egypt. And I say, listen, understand the culture where you are in, where you're serving is primarily a business. The children and their parents are clients. And so you have to understand it's a business transaction that you have here. It's a business relation. The parents are directly paying for your service. So either you render your service according to the contract or you don't. You serve elsewhere. You, you then move into a different sector, into the public sector or into a private school that has state school values. But you cannot go against the values of the organisation where you work. So if their values are business based, then that's what they are. If their values are transactional, you pay, we deliver. That's what they are. You can influence to some degree how the service is delivered. But the values base is it's a service. Deliver it. I've paid for it. You know, yeah. so yeah. against that whole values of the organization, the organization will not fold. You will fold. You hold your narrative. This is where I'm serving. It serves my purpose right now at this stage of my life. I enjoy services content. I understand the value structure of my organization and I align with it. If you don't align with it, move. And that takes courage. It takes courage to walk away. Yeah. And I've seen that where because it's got the name school in the title, don't let that fool you. It's still a business. And you are a part of the business. You're seen as part of the business and you have to deliver according to KPIs and all those kind of things. And you just deliver if that's what the business is about. But that's where you do your research before you come. You know, yeah. research past the website. The website yeah. and, the glossy, and the glossy brochure. Their website, the brochure is there to attract their clientele. And as long as their clientele pay for the service, that is the industry you're in. It's, it's a service industry, but it's a paid for one, which is underpinned by business values. That is not the same as a school in a context where it's there as a service to young people as part of a nation of schools. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, completely. So you are a leader, you are courageous, but how do you get your staff to be just as courageous as yourself? Not easily. I'm not going to pretend and say, you, you just say this, it's a bit of motivational speaking and it comes. It takes time. It takes sharing the truth, as I said, and it also takes sharing the truth of what is needed to turn things around, to move things forward and what have you. It takes you being willing to put up with some nonsense as people make mistakes, as people try and get it together. Things will go wrong. It's not a linear, you know, one, two, three, four, go up to 100. It's one minus seven plus four, you know, divide by three. It's a complete weird mess at first, if you like. But you get your staff to be courageous by deploying them to their strengths whilst they are encouraged to work on their areas of weakness. But you have to know where their strengths are. And that takes relationship. So you might have a head of chemistry or whatever. And actually, this person is the best data analyst in your school. But you don't know that because they've got the title head of chemistry. But what they do, what their talent is, 
is data analysis. But unless you get into a relationship with them and find out, talk to me about your talents that I don't know about. Talk to me about your abilities that we are not harnessing or nurturing. And there's no relationship there where they won't talk with you. Then you cannot begin to build a courageous community because people will do what their title says they should do. I am head of maths. That is what I do. The fact that I'm a phenomenal jazz musician, you don't even know about that. And I haven't told you. We're not in relationship with each other. You're my employer. I'm your employee. But if you knew that I am a phenomenal jazz musician and it should be me leading the school ensemble, for example. And I've seen this happen where our kitchen manager, the school catering kitchen manager, became the best head of year 11 we have ever had. How? Through relationship and talking. What are your interests? Serving food. He's managing the kitchen staff, talking. And then he had the courage to apply for an entry mentor position. So he left the kitchen, came onto the mentoring team. Within three years, he was the best head of year 11 we've ever had, ever. We changed structures So our heads of year became non-teaching because we saw that this is a way to go. But that came from what? Relationship. How do leaders build that relationship? What do they do? You have to be ready to talk. You have to be ready to make yourself available to people. So I'll give you a practical example. Every Tuesday, without fail, from half past three to half past five, I had head surgery. Any member of staff from cleaner, premises manager, head of maths, head of French, whatever, could come and see me, any member of staff for 10 minutes, like a doctor's surgery, 10 minute slots. You booked with my PA, I want a head surgery slot on Tuesday the 15th of May or whatever it was, and you just turned up. So it's like a revolving door. If you needed longer than 10 minutes, you had to come back. But that meant that anyone had access to me. Every single week for six years without fail. I never cancelled it. Some weeks, nobody would come. I would sit there and do marking or whatever because I still taught. Other weeks, you couldn't fit people in. It wasn't for group chat. It wasn't for a whole team. to One-on-one, come and talk to me. I am genuinely open and listening to you. Staff disclosed all sorts of things. Personal, professional. Staff brought their ideas, they brought their frustrations, but it meant that they were able to come and talk to me without having to go through the union, for example, which I I put, you know, I'm not having that. Come and talk to me. We're in a relationship together. Avenues like that are important. You can do that as head, deputy, as head of department. So your team know I am genuinely here for you. You do all the other stuff, you know, you invest in dinners and gifts and I used to send around a basket of fruit every every half term the year so we'll take it around every member of staff would pick what they wanted lip balms and hand cream just nurturing the relationship as you would a family member as you would a family member now and again you pick up the phone you ring your cousin that you haven't spoken to for a long time same thing now and again you walk the school you go up to the top office where the AV technician sits Jason how are you he's like what what have I done wrong nothing I've just come to say hello Talk to me. What are you up to? I looked over. I'm building a website. You can build websites. Yeah, I, it's my hobby. Let me show you what I've done. He showed me. I went, I'm sat at home 
trying to do the school website, struggling, messing around with it. I said, Jason, from now on, guess what you're going to be doing? I'll pay you the extra. You are in charge of the school website. I offloaded to him where I took the time to go and nurture a relationship with someone that I didn't used to really talk with that much. He's an AV technician. When's he going to talk to the head teacher unless she comes to find him? Yeah. So you've got to invest in relationships. It takes time. It's not quick. It doesn't seem efficient. It doesn't seem effective until you want people to buy into your vision. Then you realize it was worth it. Now we're together. Now we can make those moves where I will say to the whole staff, I want every single child to be a scholar. And they're like, what, these children? These ones, the ones that we have? Yep, every single one of them. I can now make dangerous, courageous moves on behalf of the young people because we've got the relationship with the staff that we can do this together. It's not easy. It just takes time. Yeah, yeah. I know, no, building relationships, any relationship, you know, whether it's inside or outside of work takes time. And, and I completely get that. With all that you've just, you know, shared with us, which is fantastic, as a leader, how did you or how do you, because you are still leading, how do you take care of your health and well-being? What are you doing? As I'm talking to you now, I have just had an appointment on Zoom with my nutritionist because this is an area that even I get it wrong. So I have just had an appointment in my second appointment with my nutritionist and I'm talking with her about what supplements should I be taking because I'm feeling old and creaky before my time. You know, I'm still in my 40s just, but I feel like I'm in my 80s some mornings, you know. And so I have to eat. It's the simple things. It's the things that you know to do. But when you're younger, you're in your 30s, and your 20s, you know it, but you don't do it and you get away with it. You can't get away with it in your late 40s. In your 50s, you will not get away with anything. So literally the drinking of the water, the eating of whole foods, organic foods, the limiting of junk food, the limiting of carbohydrate. If I want my physical body to keep up with the purpose in me. I can't have this body give out at 55 and tell me it's got diabetes, angina, this, that, and the other. I can't have that. So decisions that I make now will influence if this body keeps going for the whole of my purpose to be realised. Does that make sense? Yeah. The things which I used to get away with, not going to the gym sometimes, being inconsistent, I can't get away with that anymore. I can't. I have to exercise three, four times a week. If I don't, I feel it. I have to stop. I mean, I used to be able to pull all-nighters, you know, just work through the night, have a couple of hours sleep, go to work. Pull all, I can't pull all-nighters anymore. By half past nine, I want to put on my hair rollers and my nightdress and go to bed, you know. I can't pull all-nighters. So I know now what my body can do and what it wants. It wants to flop on the sofa. I have to train it. I say, okay, not now. You cannot because that extra flopping on the sofa two, three nights a week, I pay for it later. You have to, the, the stuff you used to get away with in your 20s, you can't get away with anymore. You have to accept that and put new regimes in place. Is it easy? Oh, no. I still want Harry Bow and kebabs and all the rest of it. I still want to do what I want to do. I don't want to go to the gym. I want to- Good Harry Bow. <laughs> we don't have that here. Yeah, I've just 
got divorced from Haribo. We were married for 30 years, me and Haribo sweets, you know? <laughs> but it's like, it's a relationship. I have to say, Haribo, we're going to get divorced because yeah. I can't afford that much sugar in my system at one time. Yeah, I'm so conscious of time. I know we don't have a lot of time and I want to talk about women. I want to talk about women in leadership. I really do because I want to talk about that gap. I want to talk about the fact that there are so many women with the potential to lead the ability, the expertise, but they don't have the courage to put themselves forward. And how do we encourage them to do that? What would you tell them? What would I tell them? And I'm, I suppose I'm biased because I have an Academy of Women's Leadership and that's what it's for. You can do it. You're perfectly qualified. Your CV says yes, but your heart says no. Your mind says no. Your spirit says no. So you don't push yourself forward. Or you're in leadership. And again, your CV says absolutely. You've been on the course, you've done a CPD, you've got your degree, you've got your MA, you've got your master's, you've got everything. But you haven't got the confidence, the deep confidence that any leadership situation that arises, you will know how to deal with it. That's what often holds women back. What happens if this happens to me? What happens if this happens? What what will I? And they stop because the what ifs stop them from moving forward, stop them from really branching out and blossoming, stop them from taking on the the fullness of their calling in that role because the what if scare people i know that i've been there what if this you know i'm a deputy head serving doing very very well become a head teacher but what if this and what if that and all the what ifs i don't apply i don't apply you know you get scared by the myth when you see other people doing the role you get scared by the perception let alone the reality but i say this in the academy, we've built a curriculum. We wrote, I say we, there are 12 of us, 12 women and myself, who have served in tough situations in education, marketing, healthcare, across different professions. We wrote a curriculum where we deal with those issues that you don't deal on your MPQH or on your MA. Those things like, how do you deal with your boss who's an absolute fool? The person above you is so incompetent. How do you manage up? Which MA is going to teach you that? We have a module. We will teach you how to manage up. How do you have difficult conversations with your team when you know they're undermining you secretly and privately? They're against you. To your face, they're smiling. How do you deal with those difficulties of leadership in a woman's body? Because we know that women, we have our own issues where men and other organisations will not accept the fullness of what you bring to the table because it comes in a woman's form. If you're a male, if you're a white male, you're good. But you're a female, then add on some colour, add on that you're a female that's got some weight to her, add on you're a female that's a bit short, well, you can't be a leader because you're short and you're white and you're female and you're... Oh, no. So when you're leading in a female body... How do you manage during a crisis? It's gone pear-shaped. What do you do? There's no point in saying be resilient. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Tell me how to be resilient. We right. tell you, show you, give you the script, give you, the, give you everything that you need. So you know now, this is what I do when these situations arise. So we take 12 months of a year, 
12 segments of these are the tough stuff. Let me show you, we've done this. Between us, nearly 400 years of successful female leadership. So we step into your life as a sister, 12 sisters. We teach you, we coach you, we can style you and brand you. So by the time we finish with you, you are deeply confident. There's confidence, then there's deep confidence. The kind of confidence where you don't have to say anything when you walk into a room. Your gravitas is right there as you walk into the room. People stop talking because you've walked in. Wow. I'm interested and I'm done with school leadership, but I'm still interested. But for a lady or a woman, let's say, for a woman who right now is doubting whether or not she should even dust off her CV to even look if she's qualified. Let me say this to that woman. I'm just picturing them now. Listen to me. Listen, get the person spec of any job that you want. Just just print out the, per- not the job spec, the person spec. Get three highlighters, red, gold and green. On that person spec, everything that you've got or that you can do with your eyes closed, highlight it in green. Everything that you know, you've done some, you've got an idea, highlight it in yellow. The rest, highlight it in red. If you have 60%, six out of 10, or yellow, apply for the job. The 40% red, that's your action plan to get sorted. That's your personal development plan. 60% green and yellow. You are ready to apply for that post. A man, he'll apply if 5% is green, yeah? If a man can see half is green, half is red, he's applying. We, women, we wait until it's 95% green and yellow, and then we won't apply because it's still 5% red. Right. Apply when it's 60%. Have the confidence to dust off your CV, arrange it in a way that will be receptive to that particular post, and start applying. You can see your action plan. The 40% of the stuff where I don't know what they're talking about, right? That's the red bits. You start working on those. Get coaching, get training, whatever you need to do. But don't wait until the whole thing's green. You'll be old and gray. Right. Solid advice. Solid, solid advice. Thank you so much. Now, I'm not going to let you go that easily. We are in our third term here in the Middle East. So leaders have had a tough tough year of it in school, out of school, in school, part of the population of the school at home and part of them in school. And so people are exhausted, rightly Mm -hmm. so. What leadership nugget, what can you say to a leader right now to encourage them to keep going to the finish line in in (laughs) July? (laughs) In July, I think, again, I would say this, you're not a novice, you're not an NQT, okay? I think this pandemic, some people just went into like a spiral, you know, it's just like running around headless chicken. I understand that because it was a turbulent time, something that we've never seen before. But you have to gather yourself back together. You're not a baby. Yeah, you're not still drinking milk. You're eating meat. You're a leader. So one, recover your stance. Yeah, you face things this year that you've never faced before. So that might have made you feel like a novice, but you're not a novice. You're an experienced leader. So one, recover your stance in your mind. Recover your mindset of to who you are as what you bring. Two, focus 
only on what matters until the end of term. Not everything matters. Everything is there, but not everything matters. What matters? If you are not sure, speak to your line managers, speak to your SLT. If you are the SLT, consult amongst yourselves, speak with your networks. What is it that matters for the next 12 weeks, however long you've got left? And have your action plan that addresses 12 weeks. Because you're too tired to have a three-year action plan right now. You're just too tired for that. Over the next 12 weeks, what are we going to do, achieve, focus on, that's it. Then you pick up your priorities that you had pre-COVID. Because those priorities are still here, you know. Whatever the priorities were for your school, for your community, pick those up. Now they've got maybe a COVID slant to them because things may have changed significantly depending on how your community coped. But those priorities are still there. Pick them up, add or remove COVID flavour, if you like, in September. Tell your staff what you're doing for the next 12 weeks, guys. Focus on this. You know what? Triple marking in pink doesn't matter for the next 12 weeks, whatever it is. This is what matters. Do this do this well. If you do anything else, no problem. But do this well. Give right. people license to drop some stuff without being crucified for it and focus down on three or four key things until you get your community through to the end of the year. Then you come back and you pick up. So one, recover your mindset. Yes, you were doing new things, but you're not a baby. You're not a novice. You're an experienced leader. Two, Focus on what matters right now. Have a 12-week action plan. Get the community through. Because they'll feel like they've achieved, they end on a high, because they've done their 12-week action plan. You know? And then in September, or whenever your new year starts, pick up. Brilliant. Great way to end this podcast. You're Thank welcome. you so much, Diana. Thank you very, very much for being our guest. You have left lots and lots for us to think about. I really hope we can do this again. Yes, <laughs> I, I really, really do. I think there's just so much there that we haven't touched and we weren't able to touch because of time. But what you gave us today will keep us going for quite some time. And oh, we really right. appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Thank You're you. You're most welcome. Take care, everyone. Bye bye now. Thank you for listening to the Teach Middle East podcast. Visit our website, teachmiddleeast.com, and follow us on social media. The links are in the show notes.